fatality rate is between and 10 and 20 times as high as influenza. Wow. So its, its fatality rate is similar to the influenza uh, Spanish flu of 1918-1919. So we potentially have a scenario very similar to um, the pandemic of 1918-1919 that killed up to 50 million people. Welcome to Own the Future, a podcast made for and by changemakers, where we gain the courage to own our story, the freedom to own our craft, and the power to own the future. I'm your host, Lucas Scrobot, and I want to thank you for being with me today on the show. Coronavirus is breaking out all over. Airports are shutting down. Borders are closing. People, millions of people in cities across China, now Milan, are being quarantined and isolated. Um, so far, eight. So far, uh, three thousand people have died, and almost ninety thousand people have gotten coronavirus. At least those are the official numbers. So I thought this would be worth talking about today. And I'm not a doctor; I can't talk about it. So I have brought on to the show today uh, one of the best doctors that I have ever met and who uh, I frequently um, ask for help regarding my health and my family's health, Dr. Don Curry. Dr. Curry graduated from the University of Calgary in 1974 with his MD. He went on to study family medicine from the University of Toronto, graduating in 76. From there, he went to John Hopkins University and got a master's in public health from the School of Hygiene and Public Health in 1978. After graduating from John Hopkins University, he went and spent 20 years developing world medicine, particularly in tuberculosis control, where he developed TB programs and trained those programs in, in the Rajasthan Desert in Pakistan. Um, after that 20-year stint of developing world medicine and working in TB, um, he went back to Canada, where he worked in a few different hospitals in Alberta, in BC, as a doctor in taking care of inpatients in hospitals. And he currently is doing a lot of international travel and caring for um, his patients across the globe doing international medicine. So Dr. Curry is an expert, not only in medicine, but in what medicine looks like across the globe. And so I thought it would be fitting to bring him onto the show today to figure out should we be concerned? How should we be concerned? Um, do we need to, you know, isolate ourselves? Like, what are the real, real questions, real concerns, real actions that we need to take to prepare ourselves as this coronavirus, this pandemic, is beginning to really affect our everyday lives and global economics. So without further ado, Dr. Don Curry. Dr. Don Curry, thank you for being with us today to talk about the coronavirus and what's happening on a global scale. People are talking pandemic, people are talking panic, and things are getting a little crazy right now. Um, and I'm just grateful that you are here on the show to kind of shed some light on what is happening, what we should be concerned about, what we shouldn't be concerned about, and um, the proper way to respond. So I wanted to, to start off with, with asking, um, what is 
the coronavirus um, and what makes this novel coronavirus-19 different? Uh, delightful to be talking, Lucas, and, uh, and uh, encouraged by, um, by what you're doing and by and helping people understand more um, of what we're facing. Um, a large degree of uh, fear comes from lack of understanding. Uh, coronavirus is, is in a family of viruses in the corona. The, it's been titled COVID-19. And so it's a new one that uh, has, uh, has, has broken into the, into the world. The coronaviruses are a family that has been infecting humans and passing from animals for at least a thousand years. Uh, some of the oldest ones um, are coronaviruses that give us the common cold. So about one-third of the colds that we have every year, runny nose, a uh, little bit of a sinus uh, infection, are caused by, uh, by old coronaviruses that, we, that, that infected humans uh, hundreds of years ago and have become sort of part of, our, uh, you know, of what we face every year. Um, the more recent ones that are particularly well-known were SARS, uh, which uh, uh, affected um, and killed uh, over 800 people, very serious one, and then and that was ultimately contained, uh, came through bats, and most of these coronaviruses are originated in bats um, and then have been passed from bats through an intermediary host. And, of course, one that many of your people are aware of is uh, the Middle East respiratory virus, and, uh, again, probably coming from bats through camels, and it's a very serious virus, but fortunately doesn't pass very readily from one person to another. But so, so, but this one does, right? The, the R-naught of this coronavirus is, is quite different than, you know, the SARS or these other viruses that have come. How is it different and what should we be concerned about there? The R-naught or, or the communicability of a virus that, that basically is a way of, of telling how many will one person, how many other people in a normal situation will get sick um, of this coronavirus is much more like the older ones, um, the cold viruses that are also coronaviruses. And it's uh, probably between two and three. A lot of, a lot of uh, people are looking at it maybe around 2.4. Um, if it the the SARS virus is below one, and so is the uh, the MERS virus, um, and so both of those are coronaviruses, but they're not. They're very they, they kill a lot of people who get them. They have a, a very high fatality rate, but there are not, or their transmissibility um, is is low. It's below one. Um, this one, it looks like it's around it's around two point two two point four, which is more even more than the common flu virus. So it is more transmissible than flu. So this is, so what's the difference between uh, the normal influenza flu virus and coronaviruses? Are they different families or is it just a different kind of coronavirus? No, they're totally different family. The influenza virus is a totally different virus. Um, it's uh, a, a significant thing about the influenza virus is that it mutates every year. So it's, it's like a really bad uh, virus. It's, it's about, in many ways, it's about as bad as, the coronavirus is not as bad as the flu virus. The flu virus kills on, in America, it kills 
uh, 60,000 people a year and wow. it mutates every year. So there is no, there is no vaccine and new vaccine needs to be developed every year for it. It's your ultimate in might say super bug is. Don people were killed when a new hello say that again it's it's the yeah. ultimate superbug the influenza virus is is potentially the ultimate superbug that's right and so so it's the, so if influenza is killing 60,000 a year in America alone what makes why is everyone so scared globally about the coronavirus calling it uh, a pandemic i understand the 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 transmissibility rate the R naught of of it it's much higher than influenza but it it seems as though um, the fatality rate is much lower. No, that but it's it's lower than SARS, but it's much higher than influenza. Oh, okay. Fatality rate is between and ten and twenty times as high as influenza. Wow. So its its fatality rate is similar to the. Influenza, uh, Spanish flu of 1918-1919. So we potentially have a scenario very similar to um, the pandemic of 1918-1919 that killed up to 50 million people. 50 million people. That, yeah. that does, you know, just saying that, that does cause, you know, in my heart kind of the those feelings of, of fear and concern when, when when people are using the word like pandemic. Um, you know, right now the current numbers as of, you know, this morning when I looked them up, uh, there's 89,077 total cases worldwide that at least have been tested um, and over 3,000 deaths so far since the coronavirus came out um, in December. Um, you know, recently, this, right. this past week in Iran, there's been uh, an outbreak so far, 978 cases, at least on paper, 54 deaths. Um, in Bahrain, we're just, we're at 47 cases, Kuwait, 46 cases, the UAE, 21 cases, Oman, there's six. And in America, we have 84 cases with one fatality. Um, now, I, and I've, I've read a lot about the numbers, especially coming out of China, um, people think that these numbers are way lower than what's actually happened. Um, I read a headline this morning that in America, they think that the coronavirus has been spreading for the last six weeks undetected. Um, so a lot of these numbers to, to me from a, what I've been reading, because um, oftentimes if you're not seriously ill, you're not even going to be going into the doctors to get checked to see if you have coronavirus. These numbers to be seem to be much lower than probably what's actually happening on the global scale. Is that correct? Um, I think that obviously everybody is, is still looking at this um, and really trying to figure case fatality rate, which is the, it's the other, it's your R naught, your transmiss transmissibility. And the second, the second you might say vital statistic you need for a virus is this case fatality rate. And that's, Right now, the case fatality rate is between 1% and 2%. The case fatality rate for influenza is 0.1%. Wow. So if you, if you looked at it, um, even if we get, if, and, and I, I agree with you that many cases are being undetected. And so 
even if we're looking at maybe only 50% of the cases are being detected in, let's say, China. So let's say maybe they have 200,000 um, people infected. But they also, the number of deaths, that would still... The, mm-hmm. Also, the deaths, yeah. I've heard, they think are being unreported or being you know, reported as something, a death of, from something else when really it's caused by this. So I think they're also saying that the death rate is much higher in China than what the government is letting on. Yeah. And so, so basically we don't have a numerator, a good numerator or a good denominator. Uh, we have approximations, but it's interesting. Um, there's a lot of open research now that's happening. There's a website where all the papers are, are pre-published uh, on this website for coronavirus uh, that would normally take a month or two to get into New England Journal of Medicine or Lancet. They're all being pre-published, and it's, it's, they're all freely available to the medical community. And there's a lot of modeling of, of the virus. And so I would say, despite the fact that we don't really have a good idea of what the real math is, we have a suspicion, a, I'd say a fairly strong suspicion, that its case fatality rate is going to be between 1% and 2%, um, depending upon how good the uh, medical facilities are and how much they're overwhelmed. Uh, The case fatality rate is going to be higher if a lot of people get sick at one time because you can't save people who otherwise would be saved if they were given some time in the ICU. Um, And so all of these things point toward the fact that this is very variable. Um, and that's all the reason why we want to modulate the speed with of which it it runs into a country by by all the quarantines, which in in China have been effective. Right. So and so that is the reason you're saying that governments are shutting down international travel, that are quarantining people for fourteen, twenty one days. If they're shutting down entire cities in China, it's not because they're trying to actually, stop the virus from spreading, period. They're trying to slow the, the inevitable spread of this virus across the globe, which would then lower the fatality rate and cause their medical facilities to not be overwhelmed. Is that correct? That's correct. That would be initially, I think, probably a month ago, there was some hope that it could be totally contained. Though I think uh, from my reading, uh, right from the beginning, when I saw its infectivity, uh, it's R naught, I thought there's no way this is going to be contained in a world that is so mobile with people traveling so much. Uh, But there was some hope, but now there's no hope, uh, no realistic hope that this is going to be contained. This is a worldwide uh, virus. It's a pandemic. World Health Organization um, doesn't like the word. Um, but it's a very good word. It just means everywhere. Pan means everywhere. It doesn't mean it means pan. And so it's a, it's a word that I feel is appropriate. It has become a worldwide pandemic. The main thing is to slow it down until we can either get a vaccine, which which may be developing faster than we think. There's some encouraging uh, research going on in Israel right now, um, but also slowing it down so that so that our health systems can handle it and you might say take it bite by bite rather than having it having a huge amount of it arriving at one time. So what do you, so then what's your perspective on um on governments shutting down travel um you know we had a trip to Kuwait last weekend for baseball that was canceled 
Um, the baseball league here in Dubai canceled um, all games, all practices for at least the week. We don't know if it might um, continue longer. Um, you know, people are deciding to not travel. Um, you know, in my, in my opinion, I think a lot of people are not traveling because they're worried about being detained somewhere for two weeks. Um, but I mean, obviously, you could probably be also fear of catching the virus. What do you think about these responses? Um, do you think they are going to be something that we're seeing in the long term that's effective in the long term? Or is this just an initial spike of panic? Or is it is, is this what they should be doing? I, I think this is what they should be doing um, until they know where they are. Um, I think it's it's creating a huge financial blow to the to our, our world economic system, and uh, and it is not a it is these decisions have been taken not been taken lightly, uh, recognizing just how much it's going to affect economics. We're so tied together our supply chains and just so many things are tied together. However, um, especially as the virus enters into a new community, a, a new a whole new area. Um, until until they get the system up for proper identification, a lot of places don't even have proper test kits. Um, and until they get their their um, their medical system up and running to handle and triaging people properly, it makes absolute sense to slow everything down um, as much as you can without uh, producing absolute chaos because your supply lines are totally cut. And so I, I support it, and, and it's not a panic reaction. I think it's a very reasonable one until we get the test kits available, until all the clinics are set up so that they can readily test people, until we get a whole new cadres of people trained as good um, community health workers to be able to go and visit people in homes and check their temperatures and isolate them. The whole idea is we're going to, ha for, for three months, I see massive uh, turmoil and, and change happening until this virus, we get some control of it uh, in the various communities. So who should be, who should be concerned? Like, should everyone, be, like, should I be concerned that I'm going to get sick and die? Like, who should be concerned about this virus, about fatality, that is? Well, in the case fatality... Um, is, is significant in that um, it's, it's specifically for older people, uh, especially smokers. Um, it affects lungs that have, have been exposed to smoke. So if you're a smoker, if you're over the age of 50 and a smoker, if you're over the age of 50, a smoker with diabetes or high blood pressure or other significant illness, you're at much higher risk. Um, if you're under the age of 50, you're healthy, um, you're, you're in, you don't have any health issues. You have very little to worry about from the coronavirus. Uh, if you're parents uh, with young children, you have very little to worry. This is not like influenza that affects the old and the very young. Um, this doesn't seem to affect um, uh, uh, young children hardly at all. Almost all the young children just have a minor illness and some have no symptoms at all. There's been a study that's been done of pregnant women, and it doesn't seem to affect the baby um, um, or affect uh, the pregnancy, which is different than influenza. And so from that standpoint, um, I think that we need to be aware of, of who the vulnerable population is, and it is the elderly in our communities. Mm. Mm. And, and 
And that would, of course, you know, if a kid's getting it, they're going to pass it on to the elderly. Um, so it's, it's good to be aware of who is at greatest risk while realizing that that doesn't mean that me as a, you know, young, healthy 30-year-old or my kids should just not care about it because it's going to affect other people around me. That's correct, Lucas. It's, um, I think the most important thing uh, is going to be getting uh, um, uh, thousands and thousands of test kits available to every local practitioner at a low cost. And America has been very slow in this. I, I have been very surprised how slow America has been uh, compared to other countries. It, it has been really surprising. Um, it's been a real weakness. And America is now seeing um, a growth of illness that it could have prevented um, had they been more proactive in testing. Um, and they initially just limited testing to people who had been in, in uh, Hubei province who had traveled. They wouldn't even test people outside of that. And now they're recognizing that they need to be far more aggressive, uh, spending millions of dollars on test kits, because that allows them to map the, 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 the illness much better. Um, and so what you do is you have someone in a family who has a fever and you immediately test all the family members and you get a pretty good idea of exactly who is infective and potentially infecting other people. And then you, you require those people, that family, to quarantine themselves. And that is what uh, China has done in Hubei province. And it has been amazing. Uh, I don't think anybody else will have an appreciation of China until they've gone through this themselves and realized uh, how amazing China, how, how amazing it is that China has not had a uh, much bigger spread. Wow. So what, you know, you said the pandemic in of 1918, 1919 killed 50 million. Um, I've read numbers saying that um, they're thinking the spread could reach to 60% um, of the global population and a 1%, um, 2% fatality rate. Um, you know, we're looking between 50 and what, 150 million fatalities. Is that right? Well, we've got things have changed a lot. We have a lot more understanding of, uh, of how this disease progresses. We have a lot more availability to support people. Many people can be saved if they have oxygen and have uh, support while their body fights the virus. Um, many people can be saved with ventilators, um, and there's going to be a huge demand uh, for um, uh, ventilator support uh, while the body fights the virus. Uh, also, there is a huge amount of research going on antivirals, and uh, the AIDS epidemic has had a very significant um, side effect as it's opened up research into antivirals that 20 years ago, we had almost no antivirals at all. And now we have um, um, 20, 30 different antivirals that, that are being actively uh, looked upon. And we're, we're hoping that there's going to be some real progress. There's some very good studies going on in China right now, uh, big double-blind con case control studies um, of, of uh, antivirals in treating people with severe uh, COVID-19. Um, and so that's a factor that's not present, uh, wasn't present in 1918. And then the other thing is that, uh, is that there's active movement in, in, in influenza, uh, 
um, I mean, sorry, in, in vaccine development. And if it if it turns out, that would be a real miracle if we came up with a vaccine in six months, um, because uh, we would be able to, especially if the quarantine is t- is taken seriously, if if countries really take testing and quarantine um, their population, necessary population, the way China did, the whole speed of this uh, pandemic could be slowed down from sort of 50 miles an hour down to 10 miles an hour. It would still spread, but it would spread gradually through the population. If we're able to slow it down for a year, there's a good chance we could get a vaccine, maybe even in six months if we could get a vaccine that would protect our most vulnerable. Gotcha. So so what I'm hearing you say is that over the next three months, we're probably in for a turbulent ride and we're going to end up seeing more of more cities shut down, more nations shut down, more air travel shut down. Um, you know, right now, I believe Milan is kind of being quarantined as a city, um, as an outbreak is happening there. Um, so we're going to see that for the next three or four months. But in three or four months time, it will have kind of progressed past the point of um, being able to totally shut everything down. But hopefully by that time, we will have some medical solutions to to combat this virus, especially for our most vulnerable. Yes, I, I think we will have developed uh, um, um, test kits that are they're going down to sort of aiming at $5 per test. And WHO is very active in this and CDC in getting a simple test kit that can be used at a, a local doctor's office level for detecting coronavirus. Immediately, uh, when you have that in the community, you can have self-isolation. Individuals are just told they're, they're to go at, live at home and not to move around. So for three months, we're going to see whole cities that are almost shut down. Uh, all unnecessary social activities will stop. Um, people will be in their homes. There will be delivery. There will be, have to be innovative ways of, of serving people. I wouldn't be surprised if we see this in San Francisco and in Seattle quite soon. Um, I would be very, I wouldn't be surprised if, if pictures of Seattle in two weeks or three weeks would be very similar to Milan right now. Yeah, um, there's because there's uh, there there. That's correct. Just in the, in Kirkland, um, just in the, in the suburbs. Uh, and uh, it looks like a nursing home. Um, but there was, I think, in this nursing home, one third of the of the uh, uh, of the um, in the last two weeks, one third of the fire department and their EMS technicians have been helping people in this nursing home, wow. and so you've got it's it's just huge, exactly. And so they're 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 doing aggressive testing right now. But I if if America is able to miss this particular bullet. Um, unlike anybody else, I would be very surprised. Mm. So, so for, to wrap this up, you know, for those who are here in the Gulf in Oman, uh, Kuwait, Bahrain, Saudi, UAE, um, most listeners to the show, they're going to be younger individuals, maybe parents with, with really young children, two, three years old, or in their early teens. Um, what, what action, what preventative action should we be taking? Um, how much panic should we have or not have? What should like our appropriate response be that's not just 
throwing caution to the wind. Um, but that's also not um, overreacting out of just panic. Like, what what should we be doing here in the Gulf where maybe um, we we don't have access to the greatest medical facilities, but we do have access to probably decent medical facilities? Like, I mean, I would I would say that um, remember that the most vulnerable are the aged with illness. Um, I think that until each community gets a grip on on um, on what is happening, that any children or adults, young adults who are who've got a cold, who've got a cold or have got a cough, need to be uh, uh, you know carefully watched, um, and uh, and there, sh- there needs to be some social distancing. Um, that is increasingly going to happen depending upon which community you're part of. If you're in a place like Tehran or Milan, um, where we know it's spreading rapidly through the community, I think people are being very, very careful. Anybody with a cold, with a cough or a fever is self-isolating. And uh, I'm not sure in the Gulf how quickly that's going to come, uh, but it's the first step that you take. Uh, when when you're you're wanting to stop the spread, um, a couple of other things are being careful when you cough. Uh, you know, coughing into your sleeve, not coughing into your hands, and frequently washing your hands. Uh, washing your hands, using hand sanitizers, and coughing into your sleeve. Um, and then, if you are, if you do have a cough, self isolating. Don't go to work. Um, don't stay at home. Don't just push through and say, it's better for me. Uh, it's that you're actually being kinder. If you have a cough and a fever, it's being until that is resolved, it's kinder for you to stay at home. So I'm sure all the, uh, one of the, um, the, the, the cities that is very good at, 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 at managing this is Singapore. Any of your listeners that want to look for advice is to, uh, is to go onto websites in uh, for the city of Singapore, the city state of Singapore, uh, because they've been managing this uh, coronavirus now for right from the beginning. It, it spread to Singapore very quickly, and they've managed to control it, even though they're very densely populated, living on top of each other, and they are managing it. And part of it is through um, public uh, awareness um, of what symptoms are. The main symptoms are fever, cough, and shortness of breath. It is not a runny nose. It's not a typical cold type symptoms. It's a it's a cough with a fever and shortness of breath. Those three symptoms are the key symptoms to look for. And if you have those three symptoms, you should very definitely self isolate until you know what's going on. Um, stay at home. Uh, try not to mix with as many people as possible. Limit your activities out. I think if people in the Gulf. Um, are aware of that. Um, uh, if I think I would hope the city states or cities like like Dubai or um, some of these great cities would look at what, and I'm sure they are, what Singapore has done and implement some of their policies. It would be very effective. Now, I've also heard that you're contagious before you show symptoms. And there is evidence that you are. And there's also evidence of super spreaders. So there are a certain number of people who have an R naught, a personal R naught of 25 or 30. Wow. And so um, 
they're, they're infecting many more people. Fortunately, that number is low. The other reality is, is the infectivity is much higher as soon as you get symptoms. Okay. So the evidence is, is pretty clear that while we can't stop everything, if you don't, have, if you don't know you have the illness, um, you do become much more infective when you do have symptoms. So for parents who have young kids who are healthy, should they, should they be thinking about pulling them out of school or pulling them out of daycare? Um, should they, if, even if there's not an outbreak in their city, if there's not, I mean, Dubai, um, the UAE, in the 9 million people, there's 21 cases right now. Oman, out of the 3 million, 4 million, there's six cases. Should, should we be thinking of, okay, I'm, I'm going to just pull my kids out of school for two weeks, um, even though they're healthy? I, I, would, I would encourage um, uh, the, the people that might consider that as if you have aged, um, very ill parents living with you. Okay. Um, I think that those particular families need to be more careful and may decide uh, for the next month to do some, so it's called social distancing. So social distancing goes from absolute quarantine to let's say just where, you know, not, not going into big groups and things like that, but doing your everyday business and, and staying as much as possible away from large crowds. And then you've got everything between, you know, staying in a room by yourself to that. You've got a, a continuum. If, if I was, if I was in a family where I had some aged relatives who were, who weren't very strong, um, I would seriously consider uh, taking my kids out of school for a month. Um, I would, because I, I'm sure that's an area that there will be a lot passed along. Mm. Um, I would consider that. I wouldn't say strongly about it, but it would be a consideration. Um, I would also, uh, for the next two or three months, uh, for aged parents that are, I would consider them basically staying at home and avoiding a lot of groups, uh, not going to parties, not going to family events, um, uh, really avoiding those sorts of things, um, even uh, saying prayers at home and not going to the mosque. If, you, if you're older and if you, um, if you have health conditions, um, I would say that, that saying prayers at home would be a very reasonable thing to do for the next couple of months um, until we find out what the situation on the ground is. Yeah, Saudi has taken a, a great step in uh, suspending Umrah, um, the, the pilgrimage uh, throughout the year to Mecca um, to slow the spread. I think that was a bold step upon their behalf, but I think it really smart, um, just as you said, because there's there's so many aged who are who are visiting that site and that could just explode across the globe in no time. But that's I think I think that's really that's practical correct. practical advice of of saying, okay, if if my kids are around older older adults, older grandparents who have some sort of health issues, they maybe have uh, weak lungs or a, a weak immune system, then that might give cause to keep your kids out of school for the next four to six weeks until things kind of play out more and we have more information. That's correct. I'd also say that, that even, uh, if you have, if you have a lot of contact as an, as an adult with elderly aged parents who have health conditions, you yourself need to be specially careful. So that's the, 
those are the individuals that we need to be looking at. A young family living on their own with young kids, even if they get the coronavirus, it's very unlikely it's going to touch at all. But if, if you have older parents living with you and you if you go out and bring the coronavirus back, um, then there's, there's potentially going to be much more uh, difficulty. And so if you have aged parents at home, then I, I feel those those uh, uh, people that are caring for them or that are involved need to be also very careful um, when they go to work, just to take good hand hygiene practice, um, uh, avoid crowded uh, events. Right now, some of these crowded events, uh, probably the biggest one that we're all aware of is the big church in, um, in, uh, in Korea. And, um, and I think that, for, especially for the uh, Islamic world, um, I think that for a period of time, um, it, there may be a real place to saying, do your prayers more at home, um, avoid crowded um, mosques where people are all packed into small spaces, because those could be places where this virus spreads very well. People that are caring for older people. Um, one last question before leaving. Do you think, um, what do you think about uh, international travel at this time? You know, a lot of people, especially in Dubai, they're flying in and out of Riyadh, they're flying in and out of Kuwait on a daily, weekly basis. Um, what do you think about people who are traveling for work all the time? What is some of your advice to them? Should they just stop traveling? I, I would not just worry? Say, uh, no, I would say, again, if they have aged relatives that they're worried about that they could be bringing a virus back to, they need to be of more concern. Uh, they need to be more cautious. Mm. Uh, in traveling, I, rec I recommend that people take hand sanitizers and use it liberally, um, especially when you're traveling. Um, if you're using your, um, your tray table, um, you should wipe it down uh, because the virus can live on plastic for up to two to three days. So plastic surfaces are, are places that potentially uh, a virus can be transmitted. Uh, take alcohol wipes with you or things like that and wipe down your tray table. Uh, um, also, just using, using um, uh, you know, a hand sanitizer frequently is very important. And then, um, and then using a mask, um, there is clear evidence that uh, just wearing a mask um, all the time um, is not helpful because it, it burns up all our supplies of masks. But in higher risk situations, particularly in airports and when you're flying, um, if you're in a crowded bus or a crowded uh, subway, I think it's very reasonable until this thing settles down to wear a mask in that situation. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Curry, so much. That is, um, I think, some of the best advice that I've heard and read on on this pandemic and kind of the who should be concerned and the steps that we should take, um, which is, you know, dependent on who we're around, um, especially the elderly. Um, so thank you so much for your, your time, your wisdom, your expertise um, in this area as uh, a lot of people are either panicking or saying that, well, there's nothing to worry about. Um, but having some, some good middle ground with some solid stats and um, a clear kind of scope 
on the issue. Um, it's really helpful, really helpful. Happy to, Lucas. Thanks, Don. Talk to you soon. Okay, thanks a lot, Lucas. Hopefully this is going to be of some help to your podcast. Yes, I think, I definitely think it will. I think it will calm, I hope it calms a lot of fears and it also helps people um, take the appropriate action to protect themselves and their communities. And we'll put um, those um, articles that you referenced, the pre-published um, before peer-reviewed articles, that website, we'll put that in the show notes and we'll be also be putting some links to the Singapore government and the action that they're taking in the show notes. Thank you, Dr. Curry, so much for being with us today. Thanks, Don. You're welcome, Lucas. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. I hope that you got as much out of this episode with Dr. Curry as I did. For me, it was so helpful to know that, okay, my my kids really aren't at risk, but my t- kids could be putting my, my loved ones at risk. My kids could be putting those who are elderly at risk. I could be putting the elderly at risk and I have a responsibility for these people. I have a responsibility of how I can carry myself, conduct my family that could really impact um, the elderly around us, especially if they're living in your home. So that is something really to consider as an action step, as a takeaway from this episode as uh, the months progress with the coronavirus um, and the uncertain times that we live in. But I pray that your health is well, and I would love to hear from you. If you have any questions about this episode or any other episodes, please send them my way. As always, you are a change maker, and if you own your story, you will own your future. <laughs>